I just want to uh, give you guys a little bit of encouragement. Um, everybody grew up in different places, with different families, and different people, and different cultures. And I think it's a time, uh, I think the only way that we're going to be able to move forward in this is to listen. To be honest, to get into groups where there's no judgment, and be honest about our own prejudices, and not judge others, because we all have prejudices, whether we realize it or not. And just talk and listen. Listen to other people's experience. Stop trying to look at other people and interpret their experiences through your eyes. Let's listen to their words. And this is not, I'm not talking about politics here. Let's not make it about politics. We're talking about people, we're talking about sin, and we're talking about God. So let's not make it a political issue, because sometimes I think when there's, when, you know, this world is, I mean, with, with, with social media, everything is so polarizing that we feel like we have to stand on one side or another, and we interpret everything that happens, we interpret it from that side. Let's not do that. Every single, every single situation is different, and let's have open minds and speak to other people that have other experiences. And like I said, we got to be honest. I mean, we, I, I sort of find racism like pride. Pride is involved in a lot of what we do, and if we are not humble, we don't see it. You know? Or let me, let me not say racism. I'll say prejudice. I'm not going to go that, that extreme. Let's say because we all have prejudices. So it's like it's up to us to ask the Holy Spirit to look deep into our heart and to see if there be any wicked way in us. And when we do that, let's be honest about it and let's talk it out. That's the way we're going to do it. Or let's come before the Lord and ask Him to cleanse our souls. Alright? So, those are my two sons. So, anyway, let's just pray. Lord, we come before you as your people wanting to know you, Lord. Lord, you have given us this precious word to reveal yourself to us. You have given us this precious word from, from, from the Old Testament to the New Testament to, re, to reveal Christ to us. Lord, I pray that you may speak to us this morning. I pray that you may encourage anyone that needs encouragement. That you may convict anyone that needs conviction. Give direction to anyone that needs direction. Lord, but that we may know you better walking out of here. And that we may have a desire to serve you more and to worship you more. To value you above everything else. And we ask you all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Alright, so I'm going to ask you guys to do me a favor. I want you guys to listen quickly because I have a lot of stuff. And if you guys don't listen quickly, I'm going to be here for a long time. So, okay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so anyway, just um, just tell you a little story. When about 2002, I was involved in youth ministry in New York City. And at this time, I was, I was starting to lead worship, um, but I had never taught the Word before. And I wanted to start a discipleship group. And it was going to be the first time I'm, I was teaching. And you guys know me. I, I'm, the, the question why is what drives me so, much, so many times in my life. So I started to ask myself, okay, why do I want to teach this group? What do I want them to get out of it? And I started thinking about salvation. And then I was like, okay, wait. So why do we need a Savior? Why did Jesus have to die for us? And I, as I started studying the word, man, my life was transformed during this time. And I, I'm going to be honest. I, I, I got saved at a church that didn't have strong doctrine. Um, a lot of stuff that, that, that was taught was kind of questionable. And there was a lot of, it was very um, external. A lot of it was, was legalistic and, and, and fear-mongering. And, and a lot of, uh, I did, I, it was, I feel like it was at this point, even though I was serving the Lord probably about seven years, that I really understood God's grace. The word grace just, man, just penetrated my heart and brought so much peace and love in there. Um, I, I remember that when I, when I, the only time I used to hear the word grace in my church is like, if you ask them, what was great? Uh, grace is, is that, should we continue to sin so that grace would abound even more? Certainly not. That was grace, but I didn't know what it was. I just knew that it meant that we couldn't continue to sin. That's all I knew. But anyway, so and those some words that just started jumping out of me, like the word justification, which means basically that we have been declared righteous. It's a judicial term that says you are not guilty. And understanding that when we come to Christ, we've been justified forever. 
When we truly come to Christ in repentance and put our faith in what he did for us, the blood of Jesus was powerful enough to save us utterly. So that was, you know, that was, that was uh, like I said, it was, it was something that, that was new to me because that wasn't what I was uh, being taught. And then also, you know, just, just looking at, at, at the, that, that was about 20, I don't know, 20 years ago. Um, at, and well, I've been starting off for about 25 years and I've come across many people in the church that really do not understand their salvation. And if there's one thing that we want to understand, it's our salvation. Come on. And if we don't understand our salvation, you see, we have people that look at uh, God as big, bad God that's looking for a reason to zap us, right? And then we have people that look at God as hippie, you know, Jesus and my homeboy Jesus, that just is all about love. But the thing is, God is righteous and God is love. And his rights, he's, he's, he's totally, ultimately righteous, and he's total and ultimate love. And those things in our minds sometimes don't, you know, it's hard to put them together. But God, because he's perfect, is able to do those things. Amen? So, uh, the, the message today is going to be saved by the blood of Christ. And, sorry, I'm going off my notes and I'm lost. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so, like, like I said before, we're, we're saved by two things. We're saved by repentance and we're saved by faith, right? So, if, how can we repent if we don't understand that we are sinners? And it's not a popular message. People today do not want to accept that they are sinful. And the truth is that we are much worse than we give ourselves credit for. But we know that God is more loving than we recognize. So um, we're, we're sinners, saved by the blood of Christ. But I think a lot of times that if we don't understand how bad our situation is, then we won't value the good news. And we act like Jesus bought us lunch. Yeah. Instead of the fact that he died to save our souls from eternal condemnation. So not only, uh, like I said, we're saved by repentance, but also faith, saved by, by faith. Faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross when he died for us. When he gave his life for us and shed his blood for us. So the sinless Son of God paid a debt that we all had. And guess what? All of us are born dead in sin. We are born with the wrath of God pointed at us because we're sinners, right? Anybody here not a sinner? Oh, I'm not raise my hand because I want the truth. Anybody here not a sinner? No, we're all sinners. So we're all deserving of the wrath of God. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. We are supposed to spend eternity apart from God. So that's our condition when, with, without Christ. So all of this that I'm talking about, about his, his, um, the penalty of our sin being death and, and all this, and Jesus dying in our place, since I'm a nerd, I'm going to give you a nerdy word. And really, I don't care if you remember this word, this term, not a word, but I want you to remember what it means. And the term is penal substitutionary atonement. Penal substitutionary atonement. Penal means penalty. So what's the penalty of our sin, like I said before? Thank you. Death, right? So, and then, so the word atonement means basically, it means to... To, uh, to remove our sin. It means to cleanse of our, of our sin. To, to, to like nullify our sin. And this is what brings us into restoration with God. And Jesus restored us to God by taking our place on the cross. Because we're sinners, we deserve to be on the cross. But Jesus took our place there. And, and so, so, again, penal, talking about penalty. Substitutionary, Jesus was our substitute, and atonement is that he came and he removed our sin, he expiated our sin, he took our sin away, and now we have a relationship with God. Alright? So like I said, you don't have to worry, remember the terms, but just remember what it means because that's so important. In order for us to understand our salvation, we, we need to understand, like I said, that we were born dead, we were born as children of wrath. And Jesus came and saved our life. When we think about the word salvation, what did he save us from? We throw that word around, but we don't understand what, what he saved us to make me a better person. No, that's not what the Bible says. He saved me so he can establish a, 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 a purpose in my life. No, Those, these things, that, that's true. You know, I do grow becoming a, a better person. I become like Christ. And he does establish purpose in my life. But that's not the point. The point is that I was dead and now I'm alive. 
I was going to spend eternity apart from God, and now I'm spending eternity with my loving Savior, and hopefully with all of you guys. Amen. So, anyway, so um, so we've we've been in, in the book of Hebrews, and uh, we're going to be speaking uh, today a little bit about the tabernacle. Okay. All right, and uh, the big idea is God has saved sinners. By dying for them on the cross, his death fulfills the requirements of the old covenant sacrifice and ushers in the new covenant of grace, life, and eternal access to a holy God. I know it's long, but I'm going to read it again. God has saved sinners by dying for them on the cross. His death fulfills the requirements of the old covenant sacrifice and ushers in the new covenant of grace, Life and eternal access to a holy God. So the first point that I'm... And what we're going to do today, we're going to draw a contrast. And this seems what the writer of, of Hebrews is doing. He was drawing a contrast between the old, uh, the old, the inferior Old Testament sanctuary and the superior New Testament sanctuary. Um, and we'll talk about the tabernacle, this is what the sanctuary is and the tabernacle is. Basically, um, anyway, so the first point I want to make here... I lost myself. Give me a second. I don't know how to go back. Okay. Sorry about that. Okay. All right. So the first point is that the the Old Testament sanctuary, or the Old Covenant sanctuary, was earthly. It says here in verse 1, now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and, and an earthly place of holiness. As we mentioned before, the tabernacle was a place in the, in the desert. It was a tent in the desert that God had told his people. Well, he basically gave the design to Moses and told him to build his tabernacle so that he can come and he can dwell amongst them. The word tabernacle itself means to dwell. So, um, if you know the, the story of Moses, Moses uh, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and God had told Pharaoh to let them go so they can come and worship him. And he established this place, they camped around this tent, and this is how God dwelled in the midst, in the midst of his people, because God always desires to dwell in the midst of his people. So the problem with, with this tabernacle, and it was something that God designed, but it was something that was supposed to be um, uh, a representative of the throne room of God. The tabernacle was an earthly place, a physical place, that was supposed to be representing the throne room of God. So it was a copy and a shadow. But the writer also speaks about it in, in, in the chapter before, in chapter 8. It speaks about Jesus having a better sacrifice. And he spoke about Jesus being the mediator of a better covenant with better promises. And when it comes to the word covenant... Um, So Wayne Grudem defines a covenant as a co it says a, he says a covenant is an, an unchangeable, divinely imposed legal agreement before, between God and man that stipulates the conditions of their relationship. So it's not like a, a legal agreement that two people make because they're sort of negotiating, but God is the one that establishes the terms of His covenants, and there are several co covenants throughout the Old Testament that all lead up to and point to the new covenant through Jesus Christ. So it's a, it's a promise, and it's basically how God relates to his people. So don't get uh, wigged out by the word covenant, you know. We, it's not something that's part of in our everyday language. But it's basically an agreement between us and God and, and the way that God uh, uh, relates to us. So these covenants were designed to reveal God to us and also to reveal God's plan for humanity. So, uh, as, as we continue, we're going to look at different reasons why this inferior Old Testament sanctuary, or this Old Testament sanctuary was inferior to the New uh, Testament sanctuary. So, um, like I said, the plan came from God. I'm not saying that, that the tabernacle was something heretical. It was just that God chose to progressively reveal himself to men. And like I said, all the covenants in the past were to lead to this covenant. 
So um, the, the, the tabernacle itself, it, it, reveals, uh, it reveals our sinfulness. It reveals God's righteousness. It reveals his love. And like I said, his plan for redemption. So the second point is that the old, the old Testament covenant, uh, old, old, the Old Testament sanctuary was to be a shadow of something greater. And, in, and I'm not sure if you guys have ever uh, studied the tabernacle, but this, in this tabernacle there was a tent and there, was, there were two rooms in there. The first one was called the holy place and the second one was called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And in the tabernacle there were several um, uh, pieces of furniture that were in there that all reveal Christ to us. So um, I'm, th- th- we can spend like weeks on these furniture, but I'm just going to run through them. Um, verse 2 says, For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence, and it is called the holy place. Like I said, the first one is called the holy place, and it had a lampstand, and this lampstand had, had seven uh, lamps in it. It was made out of gold. And it was basically the only place where light was in the tabernacle. So the priest would go into this tent to perform his sacrifices, and the only place that he received light was from here. And it's sort of a symbol of Jesus being the light of the world. Then there was the table of, of the bread of presence, or the table of showbread. And this bread, um, there were 12 loaves. Each one was to represent one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is showing Christ as the bread of life. Uh, they, he would, they would, it, this wasn't a, a, a food offering to the Lord. And it would be left there. They would put it there on, 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 in the... Um, in, in the um, what was the word I'm thinking about? They would put it there on, on the... Uh, no. Anyway. So they would, they would change it once a week. <laughs> I think so. I appreciate you trying to help. So they, they, would, they, would, they would put it there once a week. And the next week they would, re, they would replace it with some fresh bread. And only the priest was able to eat this. And then um, after that, we have in verse 3, it says, Behind the second curtain was, was a second section called the Most Holy Place, having the golden altar of incense. So let me just uh, explain one thing real quick here. If you read in, in Exodus 25 to 30, it's talking about where the, the, the different uh, furniture was. And it seems to say, like the writer's saying, that this is in the Holy of Holies, which is, um, the picture's not anymore, but behind in the second room. But, and, and it seems to be contradicting, so, so what Warren Wisby says, and also a lot of theologians agree with this, is that, that uh, the golden altar did not stand in the Holy of Holies, but its ministry pertains to the Holy of Holies. So the reason why it was close to the curtain, it was right before the curtain, and then, and then there was the curtain which, which led to the Holy of Holies. So what the priests used to do is they used to, they used to burn incense to the Lord. And David uh, said that this incense is like our prayers rising to God. It was a pleasing aroma to God. But in the Holy of Holies, so we see the holy place. The priests will walk into the holy place, the first room. My mic is down. Hello? All right, good now. So the priests will walk into the holy place doing their sacrifices every day, morning, and evening. But this back room was only accessible to the priests once a year. Mm-hmm. And that was on Yom Kippur, which is the, the Day of Atonement. Mm-hmm. And that was the day that the sacrifice was made for all the, the sin of Israel. So they had all these sacrifices going for different things, but this particularly was for the sins of Israel. And this is, the veil was separating the one room from the next room, and in that last room is where the presence of God was. So, anybody heard heard the term Shekinah glory? Mm-hmm. And it sounds fancy, and we love to say that word because it sounds fancy. But what Shekinah basically means is dwell. So, like I said, in this tabernacle, God dwelt among His people. They pitched their tent around the tabernacle. So, so His Shekinah glory is His dwelling glory. So, this temple. Or this tabernacle is where God dwelt and he was in the midst of his people. And the Bible says that he was a, a pillar of cloud during the day that would protect him from the sun. And a pillar of cloud by night that he should give them warmth in the, in the cold desert nights. So anyway, so just that, make that point, just that point about the, uh, the, uh, the altar. So then after that, um, it says, And the Ark of the Covenant covered all sides with gold. 
in which was the golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tables of the, and the tablet the tablets of the covenant above it were the above it were the cherubim of glory, of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things we cannot speak in detail so is we see over here a picture of the ark of the covenant basically the two angels at the top of it and it was made of gold and between them was the mercy seat inside the inside the ark of the covenant that was like a chest it, it had the, the tablets where God wrote the, the Ten Commandments. It has a jar of manna, which manna was what was a substance that used to rain every morning that the, the children of Israel used to make bread out of it, and God sustained them and fed them every day while they were in the wilderness. And then there was a, the staff of Aaron that basically was a dead stick that God made alive, and it budded with almonds when he was calling Aaron and his lineage to be the priests. So we could get into that a lot, but I'm going to do that. So you guys need to listen a little faster. So anyway, so <laughs> yeah. So the the third the third uh, uh, point about the inferior Old Testament sanctuary was that it was inaccessible to the people. Verse six says, "These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties." But in the second, only the high priest goes, and but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. So, um, like I said earlier, the priest would go into the holy place, and but only the priests were allowed there, not the people of Israel. And then in the Holy of Holies, the Day of Atonement, only the high priest was allowed to go in there. So this made God not really accessible to the rest of the people. They had a priest that he was like a go-between. He would uh, represent God to the people and represent the people to God. So that the, priest, the people would go to the priest and the priest would go to God. But they couldn't, and this is foreign for us because we, we know that we want to just pray. We could just talk to God. You know, we could, We're there. We're standing in his presence as his people. But the people of Israel were not able to do that. So um, just... Talking about, about this, uh, Gene Fadley says that the nature of the old worship showed its shortcoming. It, can, it had common priests serving daily in the holy place at each year. The imperfect high priest would enter into the most holy place. Remember the Holy of Holies, the back room. Each year, he would first kill a bull for his own sins and those of his family. He carried the fire and incense into the most holy place, and this fire came from the, 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 the altar of incense, and sprinkled it seven times around the ark. Then he killed one goat as a single offering. For the people, uh, a single offering for the people, for the people. He carried the blood of the goat in the holy of holies to make atonement for the people. And this uh, atonement, you know, is to cover the sin and to make reconciliation. And it, and it was to, uh, to pay a debt that, that, was, that can satisfy only, uh, that was to satisfy God. The people would anxiously await his return from the most holy place. His return would signal to the people that God had accepted the sacrifice. He would then send the scapegoat away into the wilderness, signifying that their sins were carried away. So what is the difference now? Like I said, now through Christ, we all, all people that have come to the Lord and given their life to Christ have access to God. You guys remember when, 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 when Jesus yelled out, it is finished. You guys remember what happened? The veil tore from top to bottom. This veil that was about at least three inches thick just tore. And what does that signify? That through Christ, now we all have access to God. And like I said, it, it's a the, the idea of not having access to God can be a foreign concept for us unless we grew up in a tradition where there were priests. So anyway, so what, so what, what does this communicate to us? The veil being torn, number one, that the, the sacrifice of Jesus was accepted by God. He was, it was accepted. His sacrifice was sufficient for us. And also, it also means that we have access to the Father. Through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in Hebrews 4.16 it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Because when our sin separated us from God, Jesus took our sin on his body and died for them so that we can have communion with God. 
And even when we have communion here, this is what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the fact that we were separated from God. It's almost like this veil that sort of represents sin. Because we were not able to come into the presence of God until the day the sacrifice was made for the forgiveness of sin. So now the priest had access that day. In that same way, we now have access to Jesus through his blood. Amen? We were separated, and now we have access. So the next point is that the... The old, the old, the old, the inferior Old Testament sac, uh, sac, sanctuary, uh, it was, it was temporal. Verse eight says, "By this the old, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet open, as long as the first section is still standing, which is a sim, which is symbolic of the present age." The tabernacle itself was temporary. The temple was temporary. The sacrifices were temporary. And there was, they were pointing to a greater sacrifice that would one come, once come through Jesus. And if you think about it, since then, the temple has been destroyed. And, and even if they try to find the, 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 the Levitical priesthood lineage, all, all the, the gene, gene, genealogical information has been destroyed also. So we can't find who's supposed to be a priest or not. And why is this? Why did God allow this? Because it doesn't matter anymore. If we were Jews, that, this would be a struggle for us. Because the Jews used to go to Jerusalem because that was the place of worship. That was the only place that they could come and bring a sacrifice to God. And so now, I mean, this, that, that would be a struggle for us here in the United States to have to go to Jerusalem every couple, of, every couple of times a year. But now we know that we don't need to go there. God is not held to a building. God is not held to a city. God is not held to a certain people. Now we all have access to God and we can come to Christ. Amen? So, and and the next one is that uh, it was was external and not internal. The sacrifice. According to, in verse 9 it says, According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper but deal only with food and drink and various washings. Regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. So the, the priestly, all the sacrifice they were make, they were, they were to wash them ex- and externally, but they wouldn't do anything for us internally. They wouldn't change somebody's soul. They wouldn't change somebody's heart. They would just be external, external sacrifices. So they did burnt offerings, they did grain offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, trespass offerings, day after day, week after week, year after year, but yet the conscience of the worshiper would never be changed. Now through Christ, we have the Spirit of God living inside of us that transforms our hearts. So while some people are, 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 are satisfied with dead religion, that, that they, nobody would know God just from religion. No, it's, people just know things that they have to do. But so many people do not understand who God is. You know, and, and they just satisfy with that. But, and religion is not, I mean, it, it, they, they, they don't know any better, but religion really is not satisfying. We're only satisfied by knowing God through a, a, a real relationship, through the Spirit of God that's living inside of us. So the earthly sanctuary was earthly, it was a shadow, it, was, it had limited access, and it was temporary, and it was also external. It would not do anything to, to wash us inside. But it says in verse time that the regulations of the body imposed until the time of reformation, and that time of reformation came through Jesus Christ. And now we're going to look at the superior heavenly sanctuary. And verse 11 says, But when Christ appeared... As a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made hand, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. So the first point is that it was a heavenly sanctuary. So when when the and you look at uh, chapter eight, uh, it describes the the different the different sanctuaries. Talk about one is earthly and one is heavenly. So Jesus, so the earthly sanctuary was a picture of the throne room of God. Jesus went before the throne room of God, came from the throne room of God, went back to the throne room of God, uh, had access to God, and he sits down at the right hand of the Father, basically saying that it's finished. And now through him we have access to God. But every, you know, and, and it, it sort of paints like a like a a, um, a a dark picture when we're talking about how the Old Testament sanctuary is inferior. 
But it says over here, it says, but when Christ appeared. But when Christ appeared. How many people like those buts in the Bible, right? We like, I like those big buts in the Bible, and I cannot lie. <laughs> so anyway, Romans 6.23 says, the wage of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Ephesians 2, 4, my favorite thing in the Bible. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with, with, with which he loved us, when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. Because all of our lives that have come to Christ have a button in it. We were all dead in our sin. We were all headed to spend eternity apart from God. But God met us in our life. He met us in our brokenness. He met us in our pain. He met us in our sinfulness and revealed himself to us and saved our soul. So thank God for the big bucks of the Bible. And your other brothers can't deny. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, so the earthy uh, sanctuary was supposed to represent the heavenly throne room of God. Um. The, earth, the, 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 the new heaven, the, the superior heavenly sanctuary also effectively deals with sin. Verse 12 says, He entered once for all into the holy, the holy place, not by the means of blood of, not by means of, of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkle of defiled persons with the and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So we, we spoke about this a couple of times. Man was condemned. He was a hopeless sinner without God. And uh, the, the, he, the wrath of God was pointing at him. But God being rich in mercy... And full of grace and full of love was born to die. And he looked at us with eyes of compassion when we were far from him. And when we were broken and just sinners. And he has given us his righteousness. The per so in order for, 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 the, for the, we talked about that, that sacrifice was accepted. In order for that, that sacrifice to be accepted, Jesus had to be perfect. So we know that we hear this all the time that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. He was 100% man and because of that he was able to represent us. And this, this is what changes, this is the difference between Christianity and, and, and religions. Religion is about us trying to reach a God. Christianity is about a God that came down and to reach us and to become one of us and do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. If God only accepts sinless perfection, then we're all in trouble. But Jesus became one of us and lived a perfect life and represents us before the Father. So he was a man and he represented us and he was God. And because he was God, his sacrifice was perfect. So only Jesus could overcome this. Only Jesus could fulfill uh, the Old Testament covenant. So a lot of people are like, oh, you know, all religions are the same thing. They teach us to be good. There's no salvation apart from Christ. Mm. Only He, as God becoming man, can bring salvation to humanity. Right. Only He could. So anyway, it talks about here redemption. And redemption means, it describes the paying of a ransom uh, to, a, to, to free a slave. And, and for all of us that have come to Christ, we are delivered from guilt we are delivered from the penalty of sin, and we are delivered from the power of our old master, sin. We were once slave to sin, and now we are born again. We have the Spirit of God living inside of us, and this helps us to, to overcome and to live lives uh, honoring God. Amen? Amen. In, uh, in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 8, uh, the writer wrote, and he was, he was referencing a, a prophecy from Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31. It says, for this is the covenant that I will make from the, with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write, their, and write them on their hearts. 
and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So the willingness and the hunger and the thirst that we have in our lives to do the will of God, we have that because we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. Because this new covenant deals with sin. It cleanses the conscience. Before the, ta- the, 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 old, the old covenant uh, sacrifices would not change us. They would make us aware of our sin, but they did nothing to change us. Now through Christ, we have a new covenant. And he says, he, he will put, I will put my laws in their minds and their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. When we come to Christ, the, 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 the Word of God and the Spirit of God together uh, work in, in, in making us become more and more like Jesus, which is the process that we call sanctification. So that's why when people talk about, you know, I came to Christ and I changed my life, it's... Yeah. So people say, I come to Christ and I change my life. It's not that you that changed it. You were dead and now you have a, you're alive because the Spirit of God is living inside of you. And He starts to tra- transform you and work in you into, to, and to mold you into the image of Jesus Christ. So the Old Testament had ex- was what, external and the New Testament has a better covenant of internal. And not only this, we know God intimately because He lives inside of us. And that also helps us to surrender our lives and to transform our lives. It's not about something that's external, something that that lives in us. Verse 15 says, Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called... Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are, are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since the death has occurred... That redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. It speaks here about being a mediator. And, and, and a mediator person that goes between. Right? That sort of makes peace. So Jesus was the perfect mediator. Like I said before. He was man and he was God. So he, he, he presents the perfect sacrifice to God on behalf of man. And then from God he gives the people the spirit of God that's living inside of us. He was that perfect mediator that can stand on both sides. Also, the, 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 uh, the, the superior heavenly sanctuary is based on a costly sacrifice. Verse 16 says, For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Basically, the, the, the uh, writer is... is, is you know, this, this is a metaphor that he's using, just describing uh, the 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 the, um, the new covenant. It's like a will. A will doesn't come in, into effect until the person dies. In verse 18, it says, "Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood." And we've spoken a, co- a, a couple of times about about the blood sacrifice. And through this blood sacrifice, all the covenants in the in the Old Testament. Were, were inaugurated by blood. There was they were like a sign or a symbol of this sacrifice. In um, and also in uh, in verse twenty two it says, indeed under the the law almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it is necessary for the copies of heavenly things to purify with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Leviticus uh, 17.11 says, For the life is in the blood, and, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. So this is sort of like a spiritual law that's established. That in order for there to be a forgiveness of sins, something has to die. And this picture, this, this dark picture that the tabernacle paints, I mean, this priest was making sacrifices and slaughtering animals, and it was a tiring thing that he had to do. But in this dark, horrible picture, that it paints a picture of our own sin. That our own sin is so bad. Our own sin is so horrific. And it offends God so much that something has to die because of it. Even the little things that we do, they're so offensive to God that something has to die because of it. But we see, like I said... Through the cross, we see God's righteousness, and we see God's love, and we see His wisdom all come colliding on the cross. His righteousness in that He has to judge sin because He's a righteous judge. His love in that He chose to come down and to take the penalty of our sin. 
So it's not that, if, if he would have just said, you know what, just forget about the sin. That sounds like the loving, heavy Jesus thing to do, right? But he wasn't that. He had to judge sin. Because if he were to do that, then he wouldn't be ultimately righteous. But he was ultimately righteous and ultimately loved. And what he did is that he chose to pour the penalty of our sin on his son. So somebody paid for our sin, and it was Jesus. Amen. So now, through him, when we come to him, the Bible says that he made, him, he made him who knew no sin become sin on our behalf so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. So when we come to Christ, there's an exchange that takes place. And he takes our sin, and we take on his righteousness. He took on our death that we deserve, and we have eternal life. Through Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. Jesus shed his blood. Jesus paid the penalty. Jesus instituted the new covenant. And in Matthew 26 it says, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for so, for many, uh, which is poured out for many. For the forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Something has to die because you sin. Because you sin. Because you sin. That's right. And that sin, that penalty was paid for by Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, um, also, uh, the, the, the superior heavenly sanctuary represents fulfillment. Verse 24 says, For Christ has entered not into holy places with his hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to prepare in the presence of God on our behalf. Jesus, Jesus' death, death. Jesus needed to die in order to fulfill the old covenant and to inaugurate the new covenant. It moves from old covenant to, to new covenant because Jesus had to fulfill that old covenant in order for us to be able to move forward. And this was God's plan all along to progressively reveal himself to us. So through that, we have entrance to heaven. Thousands of years of prophecies about Jesus and hundreds of prophecies throughout the years in the Old Testament all pointed to this moment. So there was this, this waiting that the Jewish people were, they were waiting for their Messiah. And unfortunately, some of them missed it because they don't know that Jesus is the Messiah. But this brought fulfillment. Jesus' death brought fulfillment. So the last point is that the superior heavenly sanctuary is final and complete. Verse 25 says, Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with the blood not, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But it is, but as it is, he has opened once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The high priest will have to go and to make sacrifices. And he had to first make a sacrifice for himself because he wasn't. He had to atone for his sins before he atoned for the sins of the people. But Jesus came in as the perfect sacrifice. And his ultimate, okay, he was man, he was God. And because he was God, his blood was so perfect that it would atone for the sins of humanity. Amen. For Amen. all who call on the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. For all who come to him. Verse 27 says, And just as it is pointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with the sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation for those who are waiting for him. Jesus' ministry as a Savior is complete. Now, he continues to intercede for us at the right hand of the Father, but his ministry here on earth is done. He sits there, and just comparing the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, we had an Old Covenant where a priest would have to make sacrifices over and over and over again. Jesus came and made one sacrifice forever. Come on. That's it. In the Old Covenant, the blood of animals would cover sin. 
the blood of Christ has removed our sin. That's good. The old covenant was for Israel alone. Now the new covenant is for all of those of us who call on the name of the Lord. The old covenant, in the old covenant, the priest would walk into the Holy of Holies and then have to walk out of the Holy of Holies and not come back until next year. With Christ, he entered heaven and remains there and makes a way for us to be there. And the priest would come out and he would bless the people. With Jesus, he came to take his people to heaven. So we see these new covenants and we can't this contrast. So, I mean, going back to the whole point of the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews were written to Israel, uh, to Jewish Christians that were thinking about turning back. And, and basically the writer has been saying, Jesus is better. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the, than the tabernacle. He's better than the sacrifices. Jesus is better. So why would you want to turn back to something that was to point something else? I said a couple of weeks ago when I preached, let's say I went away on a trip and I have a picture of my family. And I'm looking at it. I'm missing it. And let's say I got home and they're sitting on the other couch. And I'm still looking at this picture. Like, that makes no sense. Why would I want to look at the picture when I got the real thing right there? You know, and this is the same thing. And, and we may not be Jewish, and we, we may not be going back to Judaism, but a lot of times there's a temptation for us to go back to the things that didn't satisfy us. Yes. Yes. And we have to look. We look at what Jesus did for us. Jesus died on the cross, and and everything everything that he did, he did for us. He did it because of his love for us. And this is our eternity now. I mean, yeah, we, we're here in, in earth, and we're waiting to go to heaven, but to know God. Is eternal life. That's what the Bible says in, in John seventeen three. That's what eternal life is to know Christ. So, uh, uh, you know, again, Jesus became a man. He 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 died on the on the on the cross for our sin. He lived the perfect life for us that we couldn't live for us, and died for us. He did it on our behalf. So now we're no longer slaves to sin. We have new life. We have the Spirit of God living inside of us. And we are headed towards, not headed towards, we're living and we'll head towards eternity with Jesus. Which is a better deal. Right. You know? Right. So, anyway. Um, and, and one thing, I, I, when I hear people talk about the love of God, like I said, the love of God is not this like airy Disney princess type love. Man, it's a gritty, grimy love. Yes. He literally loved us to death. And I think that when we think about these things, these things should help us to respond with lives of surrender to him. Wanting to appreciate what he's done. So just an overview of, of, of the points that were made. We had a lot of points. I'm sorry, there were a lot of points. We had a whole chapter to cover. But the old covenant sanctuary was an earthly sanctuary. It was a shadow of something greater. It was inaccessible to the people. It was temporary, and it was external, but not internal. The new heavenly sanctuary is heavenly. It effectively deals with our sin. It is based on a costly sacrifice. It represents fulfillment, and it is final and complete. So, just want to end with some application points. Would ask just keep come up also. So let's meditate daily on Christ and His loving sacrifice for us. I know that sounds like something that we should be doing, but sometimes we don't. I believe that when we have a relationship with God, our minds need to be informed in order for our hearts to be set ablaze. Let us not be let us not be satisfied with a shallow understanding of Jesus. We have a church in America that's very biblically illiterate. God revealed himself to us through the word. Let's take time to get to know him in that. And find verses that stir up your affections for Jesus. And meditate on those verses every day. Read them every day. For me, like I try to share the gospel with myself in one way or another every day. Because I need it. <laughs> I definitely need it. And we can stand secure in the place knowing that we belong to God. And remember, Christianity is more about the Christ than it is about the Christian. So, if our first 
thing over here for our church is to know Jesus. Let's get to know Jesus and meditate on his word. Also, the second uh, application point is to worship the Lord. My prayer is that you just don't hear information, but that this information would help you to value Jesus. The word worship means to ascribe worth. The thing that has the most worth in your heart is what you worship. So let us actively worship Jesus. I'm not only talking about singing with music. That's just an expression of worship. I mean, it's a biblical expression that God encourages us to do. So that's a good thing. I'm not saying don't do it. But it's more than that. That's supposed to be an overflow of a heart where God sits on the throne. And the way that we value Jesus is by understanding Jesus. So we meditate on the truth of the word. We will see how valuable he is. And this will hopefully stir up worship in us. And the last uh, application point, And I'm going to ask you all at home and all over here. We're going to have communion now. So just if you want it. Want to start getting that ready. The last point is to intentionally reflect on Christ while celebrating communion. We're human beings and we things we, everything becomes white noise for us if we allow it to. We celebrate communion here at City Church every week. And sometimes we can just not be paying attention to what's going on. If we haven't all week, at least during the times of communion. Let us think about the sacrifice of Christ. The God that saw us in our brokenness and chose to die for our sins. So I will um, just lead us in us eating the, the elements. 1 Corinthians 11.23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I invite you to take the bread and do it in remembrance of him. same way also he took the cup after supper supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you drink uh, as you you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes hopefully these words everything we've been speaking about hopefully will help communion to have a deeper and richer meaning for all of you on a personal level